Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hey, this is Drew Ryder Smith, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. You only call me when you've been drinking or in the middle of the night. I'm gonna give in and I'm gonna pick up every single time. We talk about it, cry it out, and see it's better off this way. Call me bitter, but I don't really think it's better off this way. It's just something people say. I'm gonna text you for no good reason Just to watch you burn me down Way too much history, so many memories Everywhere I look I see we're all over this town Oh, yeah. 
Pixies Pixies What I think of them meant to be I still think about you Drew, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. It's fantastic to have you here now. Brian, thanks so much for having me, man. I can't wait now to dive into your music and hear more about your shows and your gigs and everything. So you recently released your self-titled debut EP. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? I did, man. This is is the first EP that I've ever released. I've spent years uh, writing songs for other people, been really blessed to do that. Um, but I, I decided I wanted to, I still had plenty of things that I wanted to say and, and decided that, um, I kind of wanted to say them myself. So I just started recording my own stuff. When it comes to music, you're very accomplished. I mean, you're a certified gold record songwriter. You are the author of the Before You Record course, and you've had cuts by Randy Hauser, Merle Haggard, John Snyder, to name a few. Why has it taken so long for you to focus on your own music? I, Brian, if I'm being honest with you, man, I think a lot of it uh, has been fear-based. I don't like admitting that. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, I mean, I have done well as a songwriter, and I, I am respected among my peers as a songwriter. And I think it's really easy to get comfortable with that. And say, well, you know, I've done well with this. If I if I want to do something different and it doesn't go well, how are they going to see me now? You know, so I've I've stayed um, again as as badly as I hate to admit it. I've stayed in my comfort zone for years and I finally got tired of being in my comfort zone. Uh, there's just no way to grow if if you stay in that spot. Yeah. And, you know, the whole recording process then for someone like yourself so seasoned when it comes to songwriting the recording what goes into it uh man a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) a a lot of time but it's it's great time and it's time that i love i would rather be doing that than you know just about anything in this world The, the only thing uh the only other thing that gives me that feeling is performing live and it's man, you know the the prep. I even love the preparation going into it, planning it out, and and I've learned not to take that part too seriously, and to not get too heady about that. Um, for a long time, I would, especially you know when when producing other artists, uh, I'd spend weeks, you know, planning for it. And and I figured out, man, that, you know, once you get in the studio, if you'll just get out of the way and let the song do what it wants to do, nine times out of ten, you can't go wrong with that. And for yourself, then, do you kind of take a, a back seat to the whole recording or do you take the lead and you record as producer yourself? Man, a little bit of both. I, I, with this EP, I've been co-producing with with a guy named Russell Jackson here in Nashville. And 
Russell's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine, but he's a super talented guy. And he and I have have played and arranged everything on this EP. And uh, Russell and I, we we both have high aspirations, and uh, we're we're both uh, music lovers, and we share a lot of the same ideas. Things, you know, the the music industry as a whole, things have gotten records kind of sound slick now the super shiny they're just they're so perfect and russell and i share the same idea that um it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't need to be that way and uh you know you listen to old led zeppelin records and you can hear all kinds of stuff in the background yeah <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on with those but those um and those imperfections are human and i think that we've taken some of the the human element out of uh out of records and russell and i decided that we wanted to keep the human element in there as much as possible uh so i told someone the other day to answer your question best i guess uh, i told someone the other day russell and i keep each other out of trouble when i start to veer too far left he he kind of reins me back in and i do the same for him i think so we've we've been a good pair so far yeah, sounds like it. And, you know, I can hear listeners screaming, ask them, ask them. So your songwriting, where do you get your inspiration? And to take it a step further, how do you write a gold record? Uh, by pure accident. <laughs> really? Man, <laughs> uh, as far as inspiration goes, you know, I, I, I try to get it anywhere that I can, whether it's personal experience or you know, I um, I was at Starbucks one day years ago. I was uh, sitting at Starbucks and uh, I had I went outside to their little patio area and there was a couple sitting at a, a table next to me that were breaking up. They were like actively in the middle of their breakup. And so, I mean, I was within earshot, you know, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but uh, they were loud enough that, you know, I could hear them. So I picked up things from that. And so that being said, I, I pick it up, you know, anywhere that I can get it. I love, you know, when somebody says, uh, you know, when 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 they have a, a a line or even a cadence to something that they say, I try to pick up on those things. As far as writing gold records, man, if I knew how I did that, I would I'd have hundreds of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just get lucky, you know yeah yeah well maybe in a couple of years time you know i can ask you that question again you'd be like oh yeah which one now out of the like hundreds there is <laughs> <laughs> i hope so and uh you know the record then what do you hope listeners get from it man i i hope uh i hope what they get from it is um is that they want to they want to go buy more copies of it <laughs> and, and that they they can't wait until the next stuff comes out outside of that man i i think i i just hope that they appreciate the musicianship in it i i hope that they hear the imperfections as human um and obviously any artist and writer wants the listener to relate yeah, so i think if they can do any of those things if they could feel something you know any of those things then i'm happy i often say for more so a performance side of things you need the imperfections you know yeah, it's kind absolutely. of what makes it you know there's no point in going 
well, when you're going to a show, you don't want to go and listen to a perfect recreation of the the song or the CD. You know, you want the little imperfections that makes it. And it's the same then when you're listening to a record. You don't want it super, super polished like what you hear on the radio with like 99% of pop, you know? Absolutely, man. Uh, that, you know, that sound was kind of cool for a minute, but um, but it's it's it, it's almost robotic. Mm. You know, after you listen to so much of it and uh, I, I find myself going back and listening to, you know, pre 2000s records, you know, b- before everybody was um, quantizing everything and putting all the beats just perfectly on a grid. And I just love that stuff, man. And there's something about it to me that subconsciously, I mean, I don't I don't think it's even a conscious thing, Brian. I think subconsciously. There's something in our mind and in our ears that recognizes that as being human and and being a a real moment. Yeah, it has more feeling, you know, the polished stuff just it doesn't cut it when it comes to feeling and soul. For sure. Yeah. And uh, at this stage, so we'll dive into your early musical history, you know, to give the listeners a sense of where you come from. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? My the earliest musical memory I have is of watching um, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band on Austin City Limits. Um, my parents had recorded it on it came on PBS um, here in the States, and my parents had recorded it on a VHS tape. And I would watch that thing over and over and over and their song Fishing in the Dark. Uh, was huge at that time and uh well i I don't know what i'm talking about you can still play that song in any bar for anyone of any age and people go nuts over that song it's a huge song in the states but i I watched that thing over and over and over i must have worn the tape out on that old vhs and uh there was just something about that that i i resonated with and i wanted to i I didn't fully understand what was going on, but I knew that I, I wanted to be part of that. You obviously must have grew up in a very musical household, and there was obviously lots of support for music at home, was there? Man, my parents were great. They, um, My mother's side of the family, they all play and sing. My father's side, not so much. You know, there's really nobody on that side of the family that plays. I've got a cousin that plays some guitar. He's pretty good, but... Um, other than that, you know, they all just went to work for a living. But music was always on uh, in my house. I was an only child. And when, especially when we were in the car, uh, my parents had music on. I don't remember them ever having the radio off. You know, a few years later then, I often say when you get to your teenage years is when you really find what you like when it comes to music, you know, and you're kind of, it's like you find your community as well. You know, in high school, you find like-minded people. So what sort of music were you being exposed to and how do you think it, you know, molded you into the musician you are today? Well, I, I grew up on so many different things from John Prine to Steve Earle to uh nitty gritty dirt band to merle haggard dolly parton to guns and roses to nirvana you know so from the singer songwriter folk guys to hair bands and and then everything in between 
So by the time I was a teenager and got into high school, the punk rock era was was really happening. Um, or I guess new punk. They change these genre names all the time. I can't <laughs> yeah, keep up. But, too much. <laughs> but yeah, but guys like Blink 182 were huge when uh when I got into high school and I fell in love with those guys and was uh, really influenced by that sound. But then by you know my late teens, I was back to I started I I, I want I knew that I wanted to write country songs. Um, so as much of a love as I had for that, and that was, I had a little band when I was a teenager and we played punk stuff. We were a punk rock band, uh, but my heart was just always into country. I grew up just South of Nashville and, uh, I just felt like that was a natural, I'm more naturally gravitated to the country genre uh, as far as writing. So I kind of I swayed back and forth, but I've always listened to a little bit of everything. And that was certainly no different uh, in my high school and teenage days. Yeah, yeah. And a bit of a, a hard question considering where you live. But growing up, what was the local music scene like and how does it compare to today? Has it changed much? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up between Nashville and Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And, you know, Muscle Shoals was, you know, for years, the hit recording capital of the world. They were, they were known for, you know, Aretha Franklin records and Rolling Stone records and uh, you know, huge in the R&B influence and that sound. And, um, so to grow up between a music mecca like that and a music mecca like Nashville, where I grew up, the music scene was really just whoever was playing your local bar on Friday or Saturday nights. There really wasn't much of a scene. I saw more of the the Muscle Shoals music scene. My My dad and I used to go down there and listen to live music. And those guys were great. And they're still down there. I don't. That scene really hasn't changed much. Really? Yeah. But but Nashville, Nashville has definitely changed. I mean, Broadway just in the last, I'd say six or seven years, Broadway in downtown Nashville, which is a historic site. Um, the live music there has changed so much. There's so many more bars now. It's corporatized, and. Um, it's uh they're all playing the same stuff and they're playing it as loudly as they can <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest changes i've seen though brian is that some of these bars in downtown nashville um some of these quote unquote honky tonk bars on the weekends at uh around 10 or 11 o'clock they they bring in a dj Right, right. Hip hop and rap, and <laughs> it's a really, it's a really strange thing, man. It's really, really weird. Yeah, that's not something I would expect to see in Nashville in a million years. Like, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. So it's it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, and you know the music coming out of Nashville nowadays, from a European point of view, seems to be completely different to the country from 
even 20 years ago. You know, it seems so commercialized and so almost country pop. What's your take on it? Um, you know, I at at first it was um it was kind of disheartening. I, I think to you know, I've been writing songs for a living for 13 years now, man. So when it started changing over into the pop, I was already a member of the industry, a professional member of the industry. And and that was the kind of stuff that we were, you know, expected to write from our publishers. That's what they that's that's what they want you to write. Because that's that's what makes money. That's job security, you know, and and I wasn't uh I wasn't too hip on it. But at the same time, you know, man, all of this is so cyclical. I mean, bell bottoms are back in the US right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything comes back around eventually. And so in the past few years, I think that we're we're starting to get back to that uh that not more of a 90s country music sound. Thanks to guys like Luke Combs, uh, Chris Stapleton, Morgan Wallen, Cody Johnson is another one. These guys are putting out music that that sounds more like 90s country music. And it it actually has really great lyrical content. It's not just uh, trucks and beer and hanging out at the creek and Daisy Dukes and all of that stuff. The a lot of the music that's coming out now by these guys really has some pretty strong lyrical content, you know, and and thank God, man, because I'm ready for it. <laughs> and I, I, I think that, you know, with guys like Luke Combs and Chris Stapleton and Cody Johnson and Morgan Wall and all those guys that I named, I think with them having such great success, it just proves that people are are still hungry for that. They're hungry for lyrical content. They're they're you know, everybody wants to kick back and relax on the weekends. We we all enjoy that. And so a, a you know, a good party song, a good Friday night party song will always have its place. But I think when it comes to country music, country music fans still want great lyrical content, something that goes beyond truck beds and riverbanks and cold beer. Yeah, definitely. Something I found surprising this year, especially, and I think it shows how it's coming back into the forefront is normally you would never hear country music on, you know, the national radio stations in Ireland. And if you did, it might be, you know, someone texting requesting a Garth Brooks record. Yeah. But the last couple of months, you know, Luke Holmes and Morgan Wallen are on the radio and it's the national radio. It's not like the country station or whatever. And it's it's actually shocking, you know, because anytime you turn on the radio on the car here, it's pop music and you're just your ears just become accustomed to that's all you're going to hear. So when a, a country song and a new country song pops up, it's like, hang on a second, what's this? This is interesting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's great, man. I love hearing that though. I love hearing that. It's interesting, though, how it does come back around, you know, and we'll dive into your concerts. First off, concerts you've attended. What concerts have made you? I guess the first 
the first concert I ever went to was a nitty gritty dirt band concert. Uh, and probably because I had fallen so in love with their Austin City Limits performance and used to wear out that VHS tape. I guess my parents probably thought, well, we'll just take him to a concert. They were really great about that. They took me to a lot of concerts when when I was a really young age. You know, my my partner's daughter, uh, they just went to see Taylor Swift two nights ago. She's 10, and that was her first concert. And I think my first concert, I was probably four or five, something like that. I was young, man. And uh, they came back, you know, last night and they were they were both uh, uh, they were both so excited to tell me about the the concert, but especially especially the little one. She was um, she was so excited and it was the first time she'd ever seen anything like that. And I, re I remember that feeling. I still get that feeling when I go to a concert. It's still you get that adrenaline rush, you know, and and um, the anticipation of waiting on it to start. And then, you know, as soon as you hear the downbeat, the whole crowd goes crazy and you're just filled with this energy. But yeah, I think Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Foster and Lloyd. Uh, I've seen Steve Earle. Um, I've been to a lot of rock concerts, Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, just a, a ton of different people, man. I, I've, and I think I'm not sure that I can I can pinpoint one in particular that that uh, that made me. I think that they have all, in one way or another, shaped me. I think I think you get something from from any concert that you see. I think you carry it with you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And what makes a good show for you? What has to happen for you to walk away saying, yeah, I'm going to remember that for a long time? Man, performance, you know, uh, you because you can, and what I mean by that is when you can tell, and I feel like the audience always knows, just inherently somehow, an audience can tell when when the artist has given everything they've got to that crowd. You feel it, you know, just like the artist feels the energy coming back to them. You you feel it from the artist. Uh, I think that's the greatest takeaway from from a show uh, is is feeling feeling all of that energy, but also being so exhausted, you know. That's it exactly. And for any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows. What can they expect? Try give them the full experience if you can. I'd go watch somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's better places to spend your money, folks. <laughs> Man, I, I, you know, I do different kinds of shows. Right now, I'm mainly doing acoustic uh, performances and been traveling around. I just did five shows in Virginia a couple weeks ago. I'm headed to um, North Carolina this weekend, and and all of those have been acoustic performances. And I, I love those because I it's it's easier for me to make it feel like an intimate performance. I love that. I also love performing with the band. That's great as as well. Um, but that's a totally different kind of energy. So uh, for anybody that catches me in the next year or so, I'll, I'll probably mainly be doing acoustic performances, um, but just intimate. And uh, I, I, I like for it to feel like friends are hanging out. Right. Right. Yeah. And how do you work on your on your performances? How do you work on your stagemanship? I don't. Right. I, I really don't. Uh, 
Uh, you know, I don't know if it's that. I think it's just, you know, just going out there and and just playing your songs and being real with people. And um, and and I, th- I think the biggest thing I've I've taken, you know, even though I've been writing songs full time all these years, I, I, I have been performing, but mainly, you know, in Nashville. And one of the one of the great takeaways, I think, from all those years of experience with that was um, was how to read a crowd. Right. And 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 know what they want or know what they're anticipating or know when they're not feeling something or when they are feeling something and and give it a more of that. You know, you've opened for so many notable performances, including Merle Haggard at the Ryman. When you're sharing the stage with, you know, guys like that, what do you learn? Oh, well, for me, I learned that, uh, that I'm I'm pretty much a nobody. <laughs> right, right. You watch a guy like Merle Haggard perform, you know, I... You know, that's a, that's a tough question, man, because there's so much that there's so much that you gain from it. That's not even that you're not even fully aware of when it happens. You don't go, oh, that's a cool trick or, oh, that's I think it's just watching the experience and getting the experience. The Like I said earlier, it stays with you. You know, there's something about it. And every artist is different. And uh I think, you know, one of the things that you learn from a guy like Merle Haggard is just how to be real on stage. And that nobody, you know, for the most part, nobody cares about your political views, your religious views or any of that. They're just there to hear great music and great performances of great music. And so if you give them that, everybody, there's a good chance that everybody leaves happy. Yeah. At the end of the day, everyone just wants to share an experience, a musical experience with everyone, you know? Yeah. And out of all the gigs you've played, then it, it probably is the Merle Haggard one, but out of all the gigs you've played, is there one you revisit over and over again? No, that one, that one was amazing. It's hard to beat Ryman Auditorium and it's hard to be, it's especially hard to beat Ryman Auditorium with Merle Haggard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I still think about that one a lot. And uh, especially now that Merle's gone, you know, that it's it's those experiences that um, you look at later and you go, man, you uh, I, I can't ever get that back. That will never happen again. You know, he's he's gone. Um, all I've got are the memories of that. And I think that that helps me going forward by by knowing that. Any performance that I do, I, I'm not going to get it back. So to just make it the best that I absolutely can. Yeah, that's a that's a very good way of looking at it, actually. And to flip it around, not to get too negative now, but is there a gig experience you've had that would you would say is the worst experience? And how did you deal with it without naming names, of course? Man, um you know, I there's been a couple of gigs that I I didn't get paid on, uh, that were, uh, that's that's never fun, <laughs> and it's always a surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and in those situations, you know, you can you can only make so much of a a scene about it, you know, because it's um, you know, f- for me for a long time. 
and I'm glad I didn't handle it, you know, too negatively. But at the time, you know, performing was just something I did just for extra income. Well, now that's becoming part of my living, and and it's uh, and I have a team behind me, and you know, you know, actually putting out music, so it's performing with a purpose. So, you know, something like that happens now, you've got to take the high road. And that's really hard to do, especially if you get screwed out of money. But um, that's that's probably been some of my worst experiences were a couple of gigs where uh, they, oh, yeah, man, sorry, we didn't uh, we we forgot the checkbook or, you know, or, well, we can't do cash tonight. Can we, uh, you know, can we send it to you later? And that sort of thing. And you know that you're never going to see that money. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's it. And how do you handle life on the road? Man, I'm uh, to be honest, I I haven't been on the road in years until recently and and it's uh so I'm getting used to it again. I'm, what I'm figuring out, Brian, is that I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was um when I was 23, man, I could I could go out there and and perform and then party afterwards and get up the next day and do it again. And it's not like that anymore. Not man. as easy, no. <laughs> not as easy. It hurts now, man. Um, but I love it. I enjoy it. I think the hardest part is that I, you know, I do have a family now. And uh before it was just kind of me out there. And, you know, I was in relationships, things like that. But, you know, I, I got a I'm a pseudo stepdad now and and uh I've got a got a really great girlfriend and and um so it's uh, and dogs and all that so it's it's much harder to leave and to be gone now than it ever was yeah yeah it must be near impossible i often think to myself if there was ever anything like that i had to leave my family for for a couple of weeks i don't think i'd be able to do it it must be impossibly hard it it is man and it's um you you miss a lot of things you know my my kids into softball now and their their season just ended uh just in the last couple of weeks i guess but you know you you miss those games and uh anything else that they're into you know you you miss all of that and you're you're really just getting reports from home by phone which is not the same as being there no no it's not it's not i i think you know i just have to put my focus into um into the greater good and the long term uh my dad worked a lot when i was a kid he was gone a lot there were most days he was up and showered and gone before I ever woke up to go to school and wouldn't, he wouldn't be home until it was about my bedtime, you know? So he, he worked a ton, man. And excuse me, he, he missed, uh, he missed so many of those things, you know? And I know that that was incredibly hard on him. And I'm feeling that now, missing those moments. And I, um, so I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning how to, how to live with that and how to live around it. So I, for me, I just have to kind of focus on, okay, well, it's, it's like this right now, but if I really plow 
and I really dig and I really work, then it's it's not going to be this way in a few years. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. It'll be all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And as well, I suppose, you know, it matters that it does have an effect on you. It's not like you're heading out on the road and you don't care. It's like, I'm going, I'll see you when I'm back. It obviously does, you know, hurt you and hit you hard that you're missing all those things, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, even I'm pretty sentimental, Brian, but I think, you know, from you talk to artists and writers uh, every day. Mm. So you, you know, that uh, <laughs> we're pretty emotional creatures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so we take things uh, harder than most people. <laughs> And yeah. so even things like, you know, my, my, my dog, man, every time, every time I come home, he's bigger and, uh, he's, he's, he's just, uh, he'll be 15 months old or yeah, 15 months old this, this coming weekend. Uh, so these last 15 months have been his growing months, you know, and every time I come back, he's bigger and I just go, Oh my God. And the kid's bigger. And, uh, I just think, man, it's, it's just, it, all this happens so fast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It does. It does. And we'll, uh, get back to your shows then, you know, your pre-show and post-show ritual, the final moments before you jump on stage, what's going through your head. And then afterwards, how do you wind down? You know, what's funny, Brian, is I do the same thing pre-show that I do post-show. I want about. 10 minutes alone pre-show and 10 minutes alone post-show right um pre-show i i like to say a little prayer and uh just give the good lord thanks for for the ability and the opportunity to to do it and i just like to just be quiet and be still um another thing that i've found with that is that as soon as they introduce if you know if i'm playing a bigger venue if i'm not playing a sports bar or something not that there's anything wrong with that i love playing sports bars but if i'm playing bigger venues like the ryman and you know auditoriums things like that having that 10 mo that 10 minutes prior of just quiet and stillness uh man it really does something to you when you do walk on stage and you hear the crowd and you see the crowd you know it's uh it seems like it 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 it, it you know should shoot some steroids into that feeling um and then after afterwards i i like the same thing i want to go somewhere and collapse into a chair and just be quiet for about 10 minutes and just kind of absorb everything and and uh and i think that's really important for artists as I said earlier, you know, you don't get those performances back. And so I love to be able to take some time to absorb that and and uh, make those memories stick. Yeah, you need it. You need it. You know, yeah. and you need to let them sink in so you can soak up every bit of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And when it comes to your music, then your music career, how do you measure success? Man, for me, it is longevity. It has become long. I've, I've always said, uh, even before I got my first publishing deal, I said, you know, I just want to be able to do this 
for as long as possible. I just want to stay in the game. I don't I don't need to make millions. I don't have to make millions. If I do, that's great. But if I don't, that's great too. I just want to be in the game. And uh, that has always been really important to me, staying relevant and staying in the game. But it's more so become that since I, I've accomplished some things like gold records and playing the rhyme and then, you know, and and now, you know, finally, after all of these years, putting out my own music, um, not really putting it out in, in formal form. Because, you know, years ago when when I was forming and touring, it was uh, again, my my day job was a songwriter. So it didn't it didn't really matter if the shows were great or if I had a ton of them lined up, um, you know. And now it it really really does. It's, it's crazy how it's all changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just a bit. <laughs> yeah, and say 30, 40 years time, right? You're at the end of your career. You're on stage with the Zimmer frame. You look back. What needs to happen for you? to look back and say everything I wanted happen. Honestly, man, I, I, I really, I think I'm there now. Really? Yeah. There's still more that I, that I want, but, um, man, I feel so, I feel so blessed to have had the accomplishments and the successes that I've had thus far. That if I died today, I'd, I'd be a happy guy. You know, with what I've done and what's happened with with my professional life and where I'm at in my personal life as well. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen today, Brian. I'd like another <laughs> another good fifty or sixty years. I think I got it in me, man. I th- I think I think either way, when that time comes, when I look back, I I think I'm I'm still going to be proud of uh, of of all all the things that I've achieved so far. I'm not sure anything really has to change. Right. I think that's the the best answer I've ever got to that question. <laughs> awesome. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans, any big gigs or anything happening you want to tell us about? Uh, man, nothing huge that I can talk about yet. I've, I've definitely have more gigs coming up. And uh, like I said, I'm going to be in North Carolina this coming weekend and some more stuff in Virginia later on. And, but mainly just a lot more music coming out. Uh, the EP hasn't even been out a month yet and it's doing uh, extremely well. We're all really excited about that and really happy about where it's at so far. And, uh, but the, you know, recording and all that hasn't stopped. We we've, we've got, we've got a lot of other music that's, uh, all but ready to go. And um, we're just kind of riding this new EP right now, but uh, lots of new stuff coming out real soon. That's the biggest thing is I just want to put out as much music as I can this year. And I'm really excited about doing that. Brilliant. I'm delighted to hear that. I was going to ask earlier on, is the second EP already written or anything? But I'm delighted to hear there's new music. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's probably halfway done. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. So it, it won't be long until it's ready to go. As soon as I, as soon as I get off the road um, here in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll be working on that again. Um, but I, I think realistically, it'll it'll probably be done in the next couple of months or so. Uh, I don't. I have no idea what a release date 
is yeah but it's already written and and at least half of it is recorded already so yeah great great and we'll dive into the last few then we'll start off easy if you didn't work in the music industry what do you think you'd be doing oh man i'd be homeless <laughs> right yeah because i wouldn't know what else to do <laughs> i'm not i'm not good at anything else i have no idea I, I don't i can't see outside of what i'm doing so there there's really um there's really no way for me to answer that i i have no clue this is the only thing i can see then you know you're on the right track i suppose and if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be oh man god that's tough uh i got a few is that okay yeah yeah uh i would um i'd love to see elvis oh yeah of course uh i would love to see the eagles with glenn fry i really uh so badly regret not seeing them before glenn's very untimely passing um those are the main two i guess uh yeah that that would be it i got to see tom petty right and, yeah before he died and i'm so glad that i did because mm. you just never know man he was a young man yeah exactly you know, just just uh, early 60s i guess yeah you, you would never have expected that anyway yeah so you know i don't think anybody saw that coming so i really i and when that happened i really took that to heart and i went man okay all of these all of these concerts that i, I want to go see all of these great artists and bands that i want to go see i need to go see them because you just never know man that's it that's it yeah and the next one so if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history who would it be that that probably changes every day because hmm. i have so many uh <laughs> that i that i would love to sit in a room with um i think probably tom petty yeah right what would you hope to learn from anything and everything i think <laughs> i would shut up and i wouldn't say anything and i would let him talk for 24 hours <laughs> and i would i would take in anything that he had to say uh but just some time with him he was such a he was such a profound guy without without even trying you know he he didn't i don't think there was ever a time that uh that that guy said you know i want to be known for being a, a profound artist on and off stage and on and off record you know he it was he just wanted to make great rock and roll music and he did uh but he was such an interesting guy so i'd love to spend time with him yeah exactly and he's one of these guys that it doesn't seem like it would be a hard 24 hours you know he doesn't see you know there's some artists and musicians that kind of have this uh profile <laughs> of they're grumpy as hell or they're difficult yeah. you know he just seems like a nice cool guy that you'd get along with he man he seemed like he was just the greatest hang ever you know he could talk everything from football to politics and, and certainly tons of music you know but just a really great hang yeah yeah that's what you'd want and the final one so what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life mm, does it have to be something i wrote it can be anything at all anything oh gosh uh 
I don't know, man. Highway to hell. I don't. <laughs> Not a bad um, one. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think uh, th- as vain as it sounds, I think a, a song of mine that's on the new EP uh, called The Truth was the most honest song I've ever written. And uh, there, every every ounce of it, every word of it, um, every note was all true. It all happened. And, um, and it was a, a huge life-changing moment for me. Uh, I really, a couple of years ago, man, I really had to go through some huge growing experiences. And, uh, and it was the most difficult thing that I've, I've ever done. But I grew so much as a person and as a friend and as a son and as a partner and just every aspect of my life, uh, I grew exponentially in ways that I I didn't know that I could. And so I think it would be that. I think it would be the truth. Perfect choice. So listen, Drew, I have truly enjoyed chatting with you now. It's been it's been a great hour. Thanks a million. Man, thank you so much, Brian. I greatly appreciate you having us on. Should've never cried, I should've never lied That night in Jackson I should've come clean, told you everything Instead of all this acting Like who I wanna be Instead of who I really am It's hard to be open, baby I'm broken I was terrified If you'd have ever known You'd have been gone Before the next sunrise You were so put together And even my messes are a mess So what chance did I have? Cause I've broken every commandment How could you ever love that? Guess I didn't understand Just killing time And everything I said Even in your bed Was just a worn out line I know you hate me And I gave you every right Cause I tried to hide That I've broken every commandment How could you ever love that? Guess I didn't understand When you had your bruises from a different life 
I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey! Hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.